Welcome to the Marrow Report. The Marrow Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Mallard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Mallard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. I hope everybody's doing well this evening. I'm excited to be here with my guest tonight. Oh boy, I didn't ask him how to say his last name before we started, and I'm hoping I'm right, but I'm probably going to butcher it, and he's going to laugh at me, even though I was just making fun of his voicemail message a minute ago. So we'll be even here in a few minutes. My guest tonight is Todd Yuri. Hey, you got it right, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> the the uh, Pharmaceutical Podcast Network, did I get that right? I didn't write that down either. That's all right. It's the Pharmacy Podcast Network, definitely. Uh-oh. You there? Can yeah, st- it was the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Okay. So, uh, well, let's let's go back in time then. Let's, let's start. I mean, we'll get there, obviously. But uh, you... you Man, it's you've been in podcasting since 2009, which makes me feel incredibly weird to be talking to somebody who's been doing this longer than I have because I started in 2011. So, what made you even want to want to get into the uh, the audio space back way back in the day? Lack of information. Um, many, there were zero podcasts that I could listen to on my way to the airport and uh, about the profession of pharmacy, and so I. I said I'm going to at least attempt to do a podcast and interview pharmacy professionals. And in my, in my beginning, it it was a it was a train wreck. It was, I didn't know what I was doing in 2009 for sure. <laughs> I don't think any of us knew what we were doing back in the early days. And then we, well, I'm I'm I'll, I'll reserve judgment on you, but I, I'm still there's still nice. I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. So. Yes, it's always a learning experience. The worst thing to do is to wait until you think it's perfected, because then you'll you'll wait forever because it's never going to be perfected. Well, as I, I as I tell people, my hard and fast rule about the show: if I ever do a perfect one, you're never hearing from me again. <laughs> you'll hang it up. It'll be hang it'll, it up. It'll be just gone. Like everything, he'll just be like, "What happened to that guy? He just like disappeared. Did the aliens get him? I don't know." Uh, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you you managed to make it through, and so. When did you realize that you were on to something, though? I mean, there's a question of being sloppy and out of sorts, but then you had to have realized you were starting to get somewhere. Yeah, it wasn't until about 2012, um, 2009. Actually, Todd, I'm going to call you back, see if I can get a better connection, because you just cut out really hard. I don't even know if you can hear me. So let's, yeah, it just dropped off the face of the earth. So let's try that back. He is in Western Pennsylvania, so we all know how. Well, anyways, we're not going to make fun Your of Western. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic. There's that voicemail message I was making fun of. See if this works a little better. Get off the hell side. Hey, I'm so sorry. No. The internet, the internet is just as bad as our phones out here. Uh, I, I was just saying you're in Western Pennsylvania, so I, I understand. You looked the wrong direction. You blinked twice. Something happened. <laughs> That's right. It was. It, it, it's like Meadville, Pennsylvania, and Cochranton, like I mentioned to you in, in LinkedIn. It, yeah. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you, you did something like breath, took a breath. So you were starting to tell me about when you started to realize you were onto something. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's something you have to do. If you make a decision to content develop, the worst thing to do is to stop. You you have to keep going. So 2012 rolls around, you start to feel some mojo, which is good because that's about the window. I think that happens for most people about three or four years in. I mean, it seems like most people think it should happen overnight, but I don't. I know it was probably about that point for me. So what made you want to start doing a network, though? I mean, that's a whole different cup of tea. It is because um, there were so many pharmacists that that knew so much information about specialty and 
cancer and pediatrics and technology and and nobody was was helping them um podcast they they were they were having to figure it out themselves so i i wanted to create something that could become a support to them pharmacists most of them you know there's 300,000 pharmacists in the united states very few of them have time to market themselves or to um or to build a platform to get their messaging out and it was very important to share information between healthcare providers, physicians, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, and and I created a platform to to do that on purpose because I, I knew that there that there was a gap that wasn't being filled and and pharma pharmacy is a very tight knit community. Everybody eventually knows everybody. I, I was going to say, but uh, the first okay, tell me the first time you pitched to somebody, did they did they think you were off your rocker or were they kind of interested? <laughs> it was somebody that that was a listener who said, "I love your podcast," and and he was uh, he was very into politics within the pharmacy sector, and um, and I said, well, "Why don't you, you know, help me build? How, why don't you allow me to help you build a podcast about our profession and the politics of our profession?" And and he said, "Yeah, let's go." So that's when the network started. By the time I reached. My first pharmacist, I already had two people on the network, <laughs> so it didn't have to be didn't have to be a fresh pitch. Oh, okay, but somebody had to look at you like you were absolutely up the creek. Oh yeah, they still do that. The podcast, I mean, podcast is more of a thing now than it used to be. I mean, at least people now at least have a clue what you're talking about. Yes, imagine calling an organization like a one of the big tree wholesalers and saying, "Hey, I want to." cover your national conference through press and they said well what publication are you with and i said pharmacy podcast and they're like what the heck's a podcast like who are you <laughs> yeah i can't imagine i'm sure that went over well but now they probably they're probably calling you now that's true things have really flipped um, i'm blessed that everything that i've built um now i feel like it's time to work it's taken me you know 13 years because the first the first 10 of those 13 years, I had to work a full-time job, travel all over the country to multiple health systems and addiction centers. I was in the addiction therapy sector of, of our industry, and it was very rewarding, but I wasn't, I wasn't building my business, which is where my heart was, and um, I, I had to. So I had to pick one of those two masters to serve, and... Um, and, you know, the first two years of going out all by myself podcasting was, um, was, was terrifying. And, and now I feel like in this last, you know, year and a half to two years that it's finally, finally ready. It's, it's ready to go to work. I'm, I'm ready to do things that, that have never been done before in podcasting. And, and, you know, I, I know I'm a pioneer in it. I was the first continuing education podcast and now that's being repeated throughout our industry and um you know we were the first to do anything to do with a network of pharmacists that were you know advisors that in in various facets of, of healthcare, and um you know we're the we're the first to join networks together through podcasting big state associations and national associations and so it's it's fun to see that not only are you able to to pay your bills but you're 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 able to see that you're making a difference in your profession, and that, that's to me that's almost the most that's the most rewarding. Yeah, I was going to say it's the uh, the uh, results of the work, maybe not necessarily the work. Like you said, the professional the professional connections and the state organizations that has to be a pretty big feather, even though it has nothing to do with the on air part of it. Yeah, it is. It's it's nice to see your profession recognize you and and see that you're providing something valuable. And it it takes a long time to get there because uh, there's lots of people that don't um, that don't trust um, novel um, you know novel publications. And ours was definitely a, a novel publication. So help me out here, though, because I mean. For years, I've heard about people in the podcasting game saying you need to be strong in a niche, and obviously, you're definitely strong in a niche. But I, how how do you reach outside the the? I mean, the community probably will sustain you, but at what point do you try to go? I don't want to I don't want to say mainstream because that sounds ridiculous, but that's the only way I can phrase it at this point. I mean, 
how do you cross over to get consumer. a little bit more broad, broad, broader appeal? Yes. Well, you're absolutely right. I, 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 um, I will never stop evolving. So my first attempt, which I've stopped this since, the first attempt was maybe to go out into the physician market and start and start doing the same thing in the physician space. And I quickly realized that I need to stay in my very specific niche of supporting pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and in this business and profession. But inside that B2B environment that I've created, there's an opportunity to take these amazing voices and these really incredibly, you know, advocating and, and driven patient focused people and get a mic um, you know, in front of them so that they can start building uh, noticeability and, and references to to the public and to consumers. So, Jim, you're you're exactly you know you're telling the story before I'm ready, and <laughs> that is we have we we have to move into the consumer market. And, and I, I know you've probably put hours. You've, there's probably been at least one sleepless night trying to figure that out. And uh, meanwhile, I'm in the other boat. I'm trying to figure out how to niche down and control myself and, and focus and build build a, a strong niche, but I can't do it. You have to keep trying, and you know you you can you can forward it by by looking ahead and and you know make little little bumps in in the right direction and call them successes and recognize the success. Give yourself credit, and then you you got to keep moving. I I I'm constantly trying to do the next you know the next client service, the next conference, the next um, advocacy of a new program that's coming out. Um, something that that you can reach into your network and and support it. And I'm a I'm a I'm a giver before I expect something back. So I think that's another a really good you know podcasting um, advice is is make sure you're giving um, before you expect anything back to to you know to yourself personally. Well, that's great advice just across the board, though. Um, now my my problem is I'll be because I, I try to stay in this uh, paranormal religious spiritual space and then i see a guy like you and i'm like oh that's interesting i gotta talk to him <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think your i think your spirituality and and you know the 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 uh the the, the seventh and and tenth and twentieth dimension and <laughs> i think all of that is 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 probably a lot more fun sometimes to listen to than you know interviewing a guy who started a, a podcast in in the pharmacy industry yeah <laughs> But my listeners, my listeners know I get nerdy from time to time. I, I love talking to other podcasters because, like you said, there's a community of us who eventually will all run across each other and know somebody who knows somebody who knows you. Or, you know, like, it's just kind of fun how it all seems to, oh, yeah, I've heard that show. And you'll be like, what are you doing listening to the pharmacy podcast? And they're like, always looking for, you know, I'm like, oh, good grief. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> there are. There are some really interesting um, episodes that we see consumers making comments on Facebook on. You know, the world of, of pharmacogenomics is the world where your genes literally act different to a compound or to a substance than my genes. And you and I could take an, a, an opioid. We could take a, an Oxycontin, and you would metabolize it different than me. And it would. I'd be like, hey, this is definitely working. I had one. And you might be on six and you're like, I can't, you know, nothing's happening. My knee, you know, is killing me. And that there's an, exa there's an example, Jim, of how a pharmacist could help someone in, in, in this fabricated case, help you to not get addicted to um, opioids because they could run a pharmacogenomics test to see, is your DNA going to break down the oxycotton the way it was designed to be broke down or is, is your metabolism different that means that you have to take six for my every one and there's something that the public has no idea that a pharmacist would do but they're they're more than capable of of, of studying and 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 giving you the the results to to guide your physician in in the right way now see so you jumped my shark there i, I was going to ask you about this because i mean i hate to say this i i I know my pharmacist, right? We're friendly and all this other stuff, but normally it's a, a quick conversation when I've been picking prescriptions up. But I know there's a lot more to what he does than besides stand there and smile, right? I hope. <laughs> I'm assuming. Yes. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, so, and you're you're speaking about the retail side yeah. of pharmacy, that community retail, and that's like one eighth of what pharmacy is. And behind the scenes, well, see that so see, that's just mind blowing. There, I would have I would have I would have guessed half of that. So, no, it's, see, this it's is why about it's good to be for you to be here. So enlighten me some more. Yeah, yeah, and think about it. Your pharmacist knows things about about your over the counter medications, interacting with your prescriptions, interacting with your vitamins, interacting with you drinking. Uh, grapefruit and juice and, and taking something that you that would interact bad with it and and they're catching all of that so when your prescription should only take from our you know impatient standards it should only take five or ten minutes and they're like we'll come back in a half hour and then you come back in a half hour and they're like hey it needs 15 more minutes there might be a pre-authorization on the prescription there might be an interaction that they have to look up there might be a you know, um, some kind of uh, inventory issue that they're they're hitting, and all of this is happening behind the scenes in community. And people are like, you know, why is this taking so long? You take the small pills from the small bottle, or big big pills, the pills from the big bottle, and you stick them in a little bottle. Like, how long does that take? And there's so many things happening behind the scenes that the the public's not aware of. And that's still all in the retail space. You mentioned okay, so. So now we have, what, two-eighths of the pie figured out here. So what are the other six-eighths? Now I'm getting hungry, so you're going to have to be good. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the fastest-growing sector of the pharmacy profession is called rare disease state or specialty, medic- specialty medications. So those are the medications that are extremely expensive um, and very rare for specific diseases that are uh, very complex. And And an example is there are there are cancers that you have to tailor and or taper onto a specific medication, which is the physician or the specialty um, specialist best guess, because medicine in the beginning is, is there's lots of assumptions of, of, of some biblomab or uh, cronibidomab and all these banabs that I'm, I'm mispronouncing because I'm not a pharmacist. And to realize that these medications are the best guesswork of the physician that must be moderated and studied as you're taking it by the pharmacist. So it's really like a quarterback. The quarterback takes the ball, takes the treatment, the treatment is the ball, and passes it to the wide receiver pharmacist, the, the, the tight end pharmacist, or the running back, the pharmacist. And now it's up to the pharmacist to get that to the treatment goal. And along the way, they got to juke and they got to make changes and they got to titrate and they got to, you know, up the dose, lower the dose, tell the physician it's not working and quickly make change suggestions to that team, that care team, because they see things metabolizing a specific way or reaction is a specific way or, intera- or interactions with other medications that this poor patient is on. But that oncology treatment is so intensive the public probably doesn't understand how many people are on one patient's team. It's probably no less than six people, and probably two of those six are pharmacists. That's incredible to think about because you just – oh, God, I'm going to use the word that I hate to use, everybody. Get ready to take a drink. Assume, that, <laughs> right, that I, – I hate to say it, but like I said, I you know, so that's why I'm making people drink, I guess. Right, you get your pill. It's been tested. It should work. We go about our business, right? But there's so yeah. much that, like you were saying earlier, how about how people are different across the board? Different, like that's it. Just blows my mind. So, how okay? But there's still there. Okay, so we got what's the other gap? There's there's still a gap of pharmacists in here. If I'm looking at my pie, so there's the world of technology. So we're talking about a new up and coming medication that is nothing but technology. So it's called a digital therapeutic. And imagine physicians who are, who are studying how a, a capsule that you swallow that interacts with your stomach acid and it begins passing data to your iPhone. And from your iPhone, it connects with the electronic health record to be able to tell the physician what's happening in your body. So once again, quarterback of medicine is that physician, Right. But when they execute the order and they start implementing the technology, 
who is monitoring all the data coming from that technology in order to packetize it the way that it should be seen by the physician to make sense to the physician because those poor physicians that are getting beat up, you know, seeing 60, 80, whatever, how many patients a day that they see, they don't have the time to meticulously go through what's necessary in many rare disease states or disease states where this technology is is employed. So now it's that pharmacist that is acting on that data and acting on that technology. So that that whole world of digital therapeutics is prime for, for pharmacists that, that want a different type of career than, than a community pharmacist. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow, slow down here for a second. You, you just blew my mind with some sci-fi stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's real. It's happening. No, no, no. It's all sci-fi. It's still plenty away from the future. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a company that, that I'll tell you now called E-Tech, E and then E-T-E-C-T, E-Tech R-X. And they make a um, a capsule that has a microchip in it that, that will send that data to your iPhone and then to the electronic health record. And that that kind of technology is more than just swallowing it and expecting it to work. There's so much happening on the back end with um, you know with with tracking whatever medication was in that capsule. Like that is just mind blowing, and you're telling me it's here today, which is even more mind blowing. Yeah. It's um it's not full blown where they're making commercials about it, which they will someday, but it's coming and it's already in motion and in many clinical trials. Man, you, you're you're reading my notes over there. I thought you said you <laughs> I thought you said you weren't a psychic. I'm not sure now. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about commercials, but I want to ask you. I, I guess I should be aware of this kind of thing, right? Because my CPAP machine, oh good grief, like sends. My, you know, how often, how would I sleep? How often I take it off? You know, all that, the data they collect on that to my doctor. So I guess I shouldn't be too far strung that somebody's come up with something micro. Yes, and that'll continue. That's called per, the world of precision medicine. So that's where uh, physicians, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, the whole team is going to be able to. Uh, drill down into your therapy specific to your genes, specific to your metabolism, specific. So that's why these costs continue to escalate in many ways. Um, but there's an evil side to the pharmacy profession that I, I definitely want to want to talk to you about too. <laughs> evil side? Well, you've got my attention. We'll come back <laughs> to commercials in a minute. If you say demons, we're on board. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing maybe it is related to the commercials, but I'll let you spell it up. So uh, there's a there's an entire uh, you know part of our healthcare system and, and healthcare in general that you know falls um, falls I guess victim to greed and pharmacy and the pharmaceutical industry is is not you know shielded from that. And, you know, many things within healthcare started out with the absolute right intention. But, you know, um, greedy people got involved and they, they made it more about uh, stock prices and more about revenue than about healthcare. And the uh, pharmacy benefit managers, known as PBM, which is a, kind of a, a three-letter, four-letter word to us all in the profession, um, <laughs> They're, they're the bane of healthcare that nobody in the public understands what's happening. Like, nobody understands why drug prices are so high. Everybody wants to point to the pharmaceutical manufacturer. And I'm not saying that they don't play a part, but they certainly don't play as big of a, of a, um, the big bad wolf as, as the PBMs do. And it's unfortunate because people on Medicaid who are cutting pills in half um, have to go without meds or have to go without the doses that they need because they can't afford it because that tax money in the form of Medicaid dollars is going to these PBMs. And these PBMs are doing very, very little to negotiate rates and, and build what they call formularies. And they come up with all these intelligence excuses for their existence. But when you see the profits of them every year after year after year, but you still see still see people without their meds or, or still see, see people suffering or worse yet people dying that's when it becomes the word evil to me and and i think it would to anybody 
and, and it's not right. So we're going through a massive upheaval right now. If you went out to the Internet, any of your listeners, go out to Google and put in PBM Reform Podcast. There's literally a podcast that will teach you from senators, from policymakers, from people that know what's going on, will literally teach you something that the public knows nothing about. And that is um, the, 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 the profit, the profiteering is the correct word of, of the PBMs. PBM, okay, I got it. I was, I was making it that. I don't know if anybody else is, but I'm interested. PBM um, <laughs> <laughs> reform, yeah. Okay, so here's, here's my question. Now, you mentioned profit. And now this is where it gets me because I, I was watching the NASCAR race the other day. And I'm not going to mention the name of the drug because it doesn't matter in this case because there's a number of them, right? And I, I understand they're a business and they're trying to make money and advertising their product. The line in the commercial that always gets me, though, is tell your doctor. Like, tell my doctor I like Skittles. Right? Like, <laughs> That's good. I love it. Yes. You're absolutely right. I mean, I don't know. I don't need it, but I like Skittles. Now give me the prescription for it. And if you don't (laughs) give me the prescription for my Skittles, I'm not bashing Skittles, folks, by the way. Uh, Yeah, we we are. This this episode is brought to you by Skittles. We love Skittles. Especially the red one. Yeah. But nevertheless, the point remains. And, you know, it feels like that's going to be bad for pharmaceuticals, too. But, I mean, I guess it drives the bottom line, which makes the commercial worth it. But is it, though? So there's a facet of medicine and healthcare that think about this. Think about you're a 38 year old, you know, physician or physician assistant, and you've just seen your 18th patient. And every time they come in with something, maybe a foot fungus or something, they immediately say, "Well, what about this medication that I heard a, a you know a snappy commercial where everybody looks like." They're happy and they're, you know, happy, joy, joy. And like, what about that med? And the the physician wants to, of course, prescribe the absolute best best medication. And in some cases, it's a it's a no- novel medication that might have come up. But they're also there's also this customer service side of everything. And it's not they're letting their, their physicians are not letting you know. Uh, patients push them around but if the patient actually looked into the medication and is on the right track per se you know or at least in the semi right track if it fits then if the if the physician knows at least a little bit about that and it is of course fda and clinical trials and it's all finished and it's ready to go then they do give way to the patient saying hey this is the med i heard about and i did my internet google research and dr google told me that blah 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 medication is the way i should go for my foot fungus well if if you're within the ballpark of of that the physician may say yes they don't always say yes but they may say yes because it's it's still a customer service market and i think our communities and our people in our communities are are harder on physicians and their pharmacists than they probably realize because they're they're still humans and they're still, you know, under pressure and there's still politics and medicine. And it's, it's a, a crazy world that we live in. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's all, it's also weird because then you go into the doctor's office and there's this poster for this one and he's got the pen from another one. And it's like, man, how are they supposed to be? I don't want to say independent objective about these things when they're looking at Skittles all day. <laughs> You know, there's a movement, Jim, in medicine that is growing, and I hope your listeners will also look this up, and it's called functional medicine. <clears throat> and functional medicine was considered quackery 20 and 30 years ago. It was, you know, the 20, 30 years ago, you know, uh, it was all about pharmaceutical and, and you have to have a drug for everything. And nobody wanted to compound. We, the, the art of compounding, which is the next facet of pharmacy I wanted to talk to you about, compounding means a, a pharmacist is smart enough to customize an actual medication for you in their pharmacy. And they literally take multiple ingredients knowing that it will benefit you. And this is usually happening in privately owned pharmacies. This is not usually happening in the big, huge retail boxes. We're talking about you know, your family pharmacy down the street 
who has a little compounding station might be non-sterile, for example, because the sterile compounding is a whole other you know, facet of pharmacy. But this non-sterile compounding, they could mix a topical for your very you know, specific two-year-old's rash, and they see the rash, they know the rash, they know the environment because they're from Cochranton or they're from Meadville, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, I know exactly what that is. That's a form of poison oak. Don't use the over-the-counter because it's not, you know, maybe it's not powerful enough or maybe it's too powerful because it's a baby. But regardless, now you have this pharmacist that literally mixes up a custom batch of medication. That's where pharmacy came from, was the, the art of, of, of medicine. Whereas today, it's, it's all about numbers, numbers, you know, let's, let's packetize it, let's make it a, you know, a specific cream or a specific tablet or, or whatever it is. But there's still compounders out there, and, and those are some of my favorite pharmacists because they're the ones that are still like the, the Jedis. You know, the, the, old, the old Jedi Knights that still believe in the force of, of compounding medicine. So uh, one of my chatters wanted me to ask you about homeopathic medicine. So I'm assuming that's the next level down the ladder. So, yes, as long as you're holding the hand of a pharmacist and a physician in your homeopathic journey, then then high five to you because most pharmacists, especially the ones that are privately owned, that take the time to listen to you, that aren't being forced to put out 600 and 800 and 1,200 prescriptions a day, but that they'll take time to say, what do you have to say? Well, well, hey, if I take this bean grind and put in some peppermint and a little bit of this, you know, tinker oil and all this other stuff, what do you think of this? Well, some pharmacists might listen and, and laugh and say, no, don't do this here. I'm going to recommend something to you. But then there's other sides of what people are finding in so-called homeopathic medicine that is absolutely okay because nature has given us so much that we're underutilizing. And we should talk about that next thing. I'm putting a lead in, which is medical cannabis and topicals and the whole world of how that's going to open up as soon as our federal government takes it off of the C2 list and allows pharmacists and physicians to work together to use it the right way. But homeopathic medicine and nature medicine and, and what nature can do for us is absolutely incredible, and that's part of functional pharmacy. But you have to marry it with someone who's kind of a guide, you know, for for that homeopathic medicine. It's funny you mentioned cannabis because I had Jesse Ventura on a few years, a few years ago, and he was saying that we could make enough hemp to replace all the plastic single-serve in America let alone the other benefits yeah. of the product. Exactly. That side of the product is really interesting for clothing and for, um, and for even fuels and things like that. And it, I, think it's, I think there's a lot of, of regulation on purpose because of other industries that may be disrupted. And it's unfortunate that our world's like that, but it's coming. You know, I think the world of, of, of cannabis and, and what can be done, and, it, and every time you say that, I came from the the you know the the world of of um of my parents who who were raised to think that marijuana was the the devil's root you know and and you, you smoke it you're going to hell and you'll end up pregnant no matter what and it's just scaring the kids and it was all propaganda it was none of it was you know it wasn't based on evidence-based medicine it wasn't based on studies it was based on a political agenda and and that's not to say that you should be smoking, um, you know, marijuana every day. Absolutely not. It's like anything else. Like, if Jim, if you said to me, hey, I had 12 Cokes today, and I'd be like, what? And you'd be like, yeah, I had, you know, nine yesterday, and I'm going to have, you know, 15 tomorrow. I'd be like, Jim, you have a major consumption of sugar problem. Like, you're going to cause yourself, if you're not already having issues, like, you're, you're going to, re- well, that's the same damn thing with anything, Adderall you know, our, our opioids or marijuana or any, anything like that. It's, it's all about using it the right way. And I, and I think cannabis and marijuana in the form of liquid, in the form of topical, in the form of pain care, or at least the pain care approach, and, and so many disorders that pharmacists and physicians are discovering of what this can do, as well as administrations. Administrations is water vapor versus straight smoke versus an edible versus a topical, you know, versus there's now these new 
in plantations and infusions and I mean there there's a whole world that that you could start splitting hairs in the world of of THC and CBD mixtures and who's going to guide us in that you know who's going to know the metabolical you know um, breakdown of things and who's going to know about interactions and contraindications and the answer is your your pharmacist and physician teams I have a friend who uh, went through a number of pharmaceuticals for anxiety and then one day was out at one of these and seeing one of those CBD shops and she's like oh whatever I'll try it you know and she, when I was talking to the guy and he suggested one she's like oh whatever you know here we go again and now she swears by it like it works phenomenally like I'm like oh that's cool like yeah I I, I have a you know a, a personal story with with the world of, of Adderall and how jittery it made me feel and then I got I didn't have one I didn't want anything to do with it and then two years later I'm 38 years old and I I try very embarrassingly and you know I felt ashamed and felt creepy but I tried my you know my first go at at cannabis and I'm just like what is this and I had to research it and I'm like this is strange and but when I dialed in and I got involved with a pharmacist who really understood it and they directed me to sativa versus indica and they directed me to a hybrid and they directed me to vitamin B and like all of these other things. I'm like, I didn't have to be on, like, I don't have to be on Adderall. Like that's, that was amazing to me as well as the taper out of all things. Like there's always the opportunity to, t- to taper yourself off of everything. If you do it gradually and you do it with your physician and pharmacist in, in tow and understanding what's going on and, that's not all diseases, Jim. You know as well as I do. It's not, it's not you know, fairy tale land that, that all things can be cured through homopathic because we didn't have the ingredients that we have today in our foods that, that were not around, you know, 100 or 200 years ago. For sure. So we've mentioned opioids a couple of times. Where are we in that crisis? Because it seemed to be a big deal for a few minutes and then... Like everything else, the news cycle kind of turned the page, and we've went through several other things. But where are we? So it's still raging. There's still issues with addiction that was, you know, never self-inflicted. Somebody bashed up their their shoulder. Um, they went in for surgery. Their physician um, was told by um, by um, medical science liaison people, as well as the FDA that um, opioids were non-addictive and the physician's like, all right, let me see how my patient responds. The patient's like, doc, my pain is gone. I love this stuff. He's like, or she's like, let's keep going. Uh, You know, four months later, they're addicted, but they don't know they're addicted. They just know that they have to have their medicine. Physicians keep going. Pharmacists and physicians start asking questions. FDA keeps saying it's non-addictive. And then we find out it was a complete Purdue sham that, I mean, how many times, Jim, do you think that happened in the world of pharmaceutical? That's why I'm saying there's a balance between the goodness of our industry and then the evil side, which always goes to the world of, of profit over patients. And it's, that's kind of scary because we're always, we're always victim to a mixture of that. And you really have to find people that you trust. You have to find a really good doctor and you have to find a really good pharmacist that knows you by name and, and, you know, advocates for you. And, and that's not easy to find. There's, you know, everybody's human and, you know, and we're, we're all at fault at one point or another. So that's, that leads me to another good question here. Um, what should people be asking their pharmacists so they can kind of see if they're, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. Boy, you're getting me in trouble tonight. They're quote-unquote mailing in, they're there to collect a paycheck or actually have a passion for it. I'm sure on some level they all have passion for it, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a there's a movement. I want you to Google this. I want your listeners to Google this, but it's called Pizza Is Not Working. So Pizza Is Not Working. It's a hashtag, so you can just put that all into one, you know, no spaces. So hashtag Pizza Is Not Working. Started by a pharmacist by the name of Dr. Bled Tanoe out of Oklahoma. And she found out how um, her pharmacy was was not staffing their pharmacy correctly, especially through this horrific pandemic, just based on, once again, trying to keep profits at a specific level. 
and the staffing issues were causing, you know, were causing harm, were causing, um, you know, pharmacists not having enough time to review prescriptions and the whole issue. So her home, you know, grassroots campaign is, is, is really changing things behind the scenes that people once again don't know about. But therein lies um, a, a facet of pharmacy that almost feel like it's, it's eating itself. You know, it's the, it's these big gargantuan big box stores that your pharmacist in those stores, they want to do what they were trained to do. You know, they're passionate about the nerdiness of chemistry and biology and drug interactions. And they like, love that crap, but they're getting burnt out because they're, they're, it's a, there's, that's the industry that I, there, that's the sector of pharmacy I called fast food pharmacy. Fast food pharmacy is that, is that, enormous organizations that are pumping out, you know, millions and millions of prescriptions per day. And it's, and it's like, okay, let's slow down and be pharmacological, you know, focused. Let's really sit Jim down and start asking questions. Jim, you know, what, what's your calorie intake per day? Um, talk to me about your pain in your neck or in your back. Talk to me about, you know, this, medication that you're on how are you react like that slow down jim that's that's what pharmacists want to do but when you're in this fast food environment you don't even have time to go to the bathroom sometime and that, and so the hashtag pizza is not working is a is kind of a spit in the face or a rebellion from the pharmacist saying to the district managers of these big organizations stop bringing us pizza as a way of saying hey thanks for all this work you're doing instead of saying Here's another pharmacist that's coming on staff. Here's a raise or here's, you know, bonus for the hours that you work or whatever it is. But no, they keep having these pizza parties and no one's addressing the issue, which is ultimately a public health issue. It's more than just staffing for pharmacists. Like we, we, we've got to teach the, and by the way, it's a, it's a domino effect, Jim, because it's, it's the PBMs that are creating this issue because of profits and not enough money to go to care and that's why uh senator chuck grassley is is putting out a an enormous bill to change the entire pbm industry but he has the biggest lobby in healthcare against him um which is the pbm lobby and of course this trickles down to the kind of care you get if you go to one of these you know big box stores so i'm gonna ask you an idiotic question because well that's what i do around here I, some of those things that you mentioned, the pharmacist you once asked, I, I assume that's part of your care from your doctor. So where where am I getting my money? Is is it supposed to be money, or am I missing something? Or so the difference between the care from your physician and the care from your pharmacist, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess pretty much. You you worded so, you cleaned that up pretty nice. That's why you have a, a, a successful <laughs> podcast network. Go ahead. So so your physician is your general practitioner physician, primary care physician, is catch-all for everything. So God bless them. He or she, we'll call it, you know, her, we'll call her Dr. Smith. So Dr. Smith, you come in, you have a backache, you have, um, you know, something going on with your eye, and you're limping. And she, and she starts making an assessment. And Dr. Smith is going through all this checks and balances. She's got about 30 to 40 minutes to do it. She's going through, what are you taking? What are you on? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you, what time do you get up? You know, what, how many coffee, you know, cups of coffee you drink a day? She, she ha, she's quickly, Dr. Smith is quickly making assessment as quickly as possible. When they get to the meds, if you need meds for your back pain, oh, you know, Dr. Smith, I can't stand my back pain anymore. Tylenol and ibuprofen, it's not working. What do I do? Well, well she, she's going to go into her list of medications based on your medical history and make a determination of what to put you on, right? But that is an intelligent guess. Dr. Smith does not know that that medication is going to 100% work for you. So what does Dr. Smith do? She passes the treatment ball or the treatment plan to her wide receiver, and that's the pharmacist. And now you as a patient should not be going to the pharmacist and just giving your prescription and walking away, if you are a public and you're worried about your health, you should say, hey, I'd like to talk to the pharmacist about my back pain. And now the lights will all go on. You'll slow the process down. 
and you'll get better care because you'll tap into a doctor of pharmacy who went to school almost as long as a physician did that knows everything there is to know about biology and chemistry and chemical and, I mean, just the amazing drug after drug after drug after drug and interactions that they know that they soak in so that they can truly help you get better faster or at least sustain where you're at so that you don't get worse. And that can't be done by a physician by themselves because they're, except for the unicorns that are pharmacists and physicians, and that'll blow your mind. I think that should be another radio show. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I was just listening along here, and I was like, pharmacists and physicians. Does that exist? Is that really a thing? Are they you making are, stuff up on me? There's very few of them, but they're definitely out there. Man. Now we know what we have to do. Find one of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, so it's interesting, though, because you're right. Pizza is not working. I, I think that's across the board for many um, industries. But Absolutely. Yeah, there's too much greed, and there's too many people, good people, that uh, you and I, we're spending our tax money on, on programs that are supposed to take care of people that can't afford their medication, and a lot of that is being sucked up in profit that should never go to a PBM. It should be going to the uh, the actual pharmacy care or it should be going to the, the price of the medication so that your price is, is lessened. So I, I'm going to twist the question from the chat room because I'm going to, I kind of like it, but I kind of like where I'm going with where we're at too. Um, how do people continue to get sucked up and work for these big mass pharmaceutical companies when they, they know maybe they want to be doing something at the, the local level, but I guess maybe there's just not enough career opportunities out there, I guess is what I'm going to guess the answer to the question is. Well, we we need people to work at these big, huge, you know, fast food pharmacies, which is the state that we're in right now. We need that. We need good pharmacists there. But we also need the system that's supporting them to change so we stop paying for the prescription and we start paying for the care. We should, we should not be paying pharmacists by prescription. That's the way they're compensated today. I think that's dumb. There are, there are some prescriptions that are lost. Like they'll be, the PBM will be like negative $3. So you just did an hour's worth of consultation, an hour's worth of work for a complex situation, and we're going to take $3 from you because you, you process that prescription. Like that's literally happening today, and that's out there. So we should be paying pharmacists just like we pay our physicians, and that's by the case. By the case, Jim has an issue. What's the issue, Jim? They go down through the billing codes, the issue shoulder pain or foot pain or some kind of fungus or whatever it is. We're putting all these elements on you as, <laughs> as, our, as our pretend patient. I know, I, know, I but, know who I'm calling tomorrow when I wake up and can't move. <laughs> that's right. So it's, it's, hey, why are we paying by the prescription we should be paying the pharmacist to dig down into the patient's condition and help solve the condition the medication should be an afterthought it should be shouldn't be the center of the pharmacy industry and it is so that's that's the when i'm talking about pbm reform it's reforming how we pay the entire life cycle of what is the pharmaceutical and pharmacy industry and we should be paying for care we shouldn't be paying for the prescription well, it's part there. It's part. It's it's there, but it shouldn't be the focal point. Yeah, I mean that's ridiculous that you're. I mean, back to the fast food analogy there, right? I mean, it shouldn't be how many hamburgers you pound out. Exactly. That's a gr- great way of 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 actually the analogy of that. <laughs> exactly. You should be paying for the sustenance and the nutrition of that of that you know hundred percent American beef or whatever. You shouldn't be focusing on just the the hamburger itself and then how does the chef get you know get get paid in in that food realm it's very commoditizing right whereas medicine should not be commoditized i don't want my medicine to be commoditized i don't want my physician care to be commoditized i don't want it to be a become a a conveyor belt and they're pushing towards conveyor belt because of profit so I think we've reached a point in the show where most people aren't going to be listening anymore that would be triggered by this topic, so we're going to go there. Uh, obviously, the last couple of years have been impacted by the, the COVID 
world, right? And it sounds to me like you you took the jump in the podcasting space about the time that all started. So you're running parallel tracks here. Am I am I right in the time frame? <laughs> Well, in 2009, I don't, I don't remember what was going on in the vaccine world specifically. Um, but no, no. When, but when you when, decided to do the network and all that full time, yeah, that was 2012. So oh, 2019 ish oh. or 20 is when the is when COVID set in. Oh, I, why did I why did I think you started that a couple of years ago? Anyways, but anyway, so it, it has been over to us for the last couple of years. So how is that? in well, let's start with the easy one. How has that impacted your? your podcasting network. I mean, obviously more people were interested in the, the medical world. So I'm sure that had, a- well, when, when the, when the shutdowns happened, our, our number one listening spot was the commute. And that was, that was, so my, my, the first three months of the shutdown crushed our numbers by like 33, 33, 35%. We lost listeners. And that was because you disrupted a person's, um, you know, daily reg- regimen whatever they did they were popping into the car at six thirty in the morning they got an hour drive to work and they were listening to our podcast well that went out the window with the shutdown so it took about three months into after that i didn't know what was going to happen all of a sudden i started seeing the numbers come back but they were no longer in the morning commute they were all over the place so our metrics completely changed into when people were consuming podcasts but covid was really a test of our healthcare system to see could we pull it off. And you don't have to listen to a person who's a fanatic about pharmacists. Just go do your your Google research as to who stepped up and why we got through the pandemic at the level that we did. And we're not we're not completely through it, but we got through the worst part of it because pharmacists stepped up and started getting involved in you know in in, in the vaccine initiatives and. And it, and it was uh, amazing to see them work together as fast as they did because I think they were used to it. I think that's, I think that pharma, pharmacists can move at that pace and, and I think they were, they were ready for the pandemic in some ways. I mean, in some other ways they weren't. And like I said, there's a ton of burnout happening in, in the healthcare realm because of the, the aftermath of the height of the pandemic. Do pharmacists like to dance as much as they do for their commer- in their medicine commercials? Jeremy Tom Runner, I'm really <laughs> disappointed in that commercial. That 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 commercial. That question. I expect more from you, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember pharmacists dancing in, in pharmaceutical commercials, but pharmacists aren't aren't compensated by you know the pharmaceutical companies. They're compensated by the by the insurance companies or the. Or, or, or actually, the the cash paying customer lots of the time, and and you know, and it's the it's the patient that the pharmacist works for. They're they're not they're not working for pharma. They're they're working for the patient. And I think the patient should realize that they're the boss, and you should you know stand up for your patient rights and ask ask a lot of questions and start asking your pharmacist more questions than what you probably are because you'll be you'll be very surprised at the level of. Uh, of knowledge that they have, as well as knowing how to get around the system if, if you are having a payment issue. So before we start to get into a little rapid fire and wind this bad boy down, because we've got about six minutes left. So um, i like to give you the floor to promote the network and any other things that you've got going on, because, uh, A, I want to thank you for uh, hopping on tonight, and I think you've got a lot of wonderful content out there that the world needs to hear. Well, it means a lot, and I want to thank you for inviting me on the show. Um I, I hate promoting myself. I'd rather promote pharmacists. So I'd ask that every single one of you that are listening tonight, um, you know, think about um, the the issues that your family has or you're going through or a friend is. And if they are going through something chronic, if they're going through some kind of condition that is very serious, I ask you to, to reach out to a community pharmacist, somebody who owns their own pharmacy business and have them schedule a, a call with them and get your prescriptions transferred from the big box, you know, store into a community independent pharmacy. And I, I guarantee you're going to get, you're going to get a better service and, and better care. And I'm not anti, I'm not anti chain because I love pharmacists that work at chain. I just know that our system right now is it's not working as, as it, as it was supposed to by design work. And so if, if I'm going to promote anything, it's going to be, the U.S. Farmy, which is an initiative I have to raise money for veterans with PTSD, and that's U.S. 
and then P-H-A-R-M-Y, so U.S. Farmy. If you go to usfarmy.com, 100% of the T-shirts that we designed um, that, that we have going out to pharmacists all, you know, almost every week, all that money, $22 um, plus shipping, you know, I, I actually include shipping, that all goes to our, our Western Pennsylvania um, Marion Outdoorsman uh, Club that, that takes care of veterans in a, in a multitude of ways. Um, mostly it's outdoor therapy and walks and yoga and different other things like that. But I really believe in, in pharmacists, as you can tell. I, I, see, I see things that they're doing for people that other facets of our healthcare you know, system and services aren't, aren't able to. And it, it's not because they don't want to, but our physicians are, oh my goodness, they're, they're under so much stress that, that they need to, they need to, need to pass that ball more often and, and get, get the other players on the field involved. Okay. So you mentioned Western Pennsylvania. You, you mentioned uh, to me that you lived in Northwestern Pennsylvania. I know you live in Southwestern Pennsylvania now. So, uh, for the listeners who may be on vacation and stopping through our region, what's give me one good thing they should do in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, Ohio Pio, I was just uh, down there whitewater rafting, and it, it was so much fun. And the guides and everything were, were so much fun. So if you if you want to uh, take a if you've never whitewater rafted, it's it's it sounds more dangerous than it is. And I'm not talking about the crazy rapids i'm talking about like the junior rapids but it, it's still a it's still an amazing experience i was gonna say they've got some crazy ones down there though let's not be mistaken they do <laughs> they have like the advanced advanced rapids and that's not my cup of tea yet yeah, i was gonna say you're building towards um <laughs> geo observation always has me ask people their favorite breakfast now it could be cereal it could be whatever i you know I, my I, favorite breakfast is is like the the eggs over easy and the bacon and the and the waffle and the and the home fries like give me all of it like i want all of it at the same time that's 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 how we like it right just give us everything and yeah. we'll we'll eat it and then we'll wonder what we did about 10 minutes after we <laughs> ate it all. I, won't, I won't have to eat for the rest of the day yes <laughs> need a nap no <laughs> <laughs> oh before it before I let you go, I, I've got to mention this to you. I, I love the, the the podcast network site, and uh, it looks really good. So I, I don't know who's behind that, but they they got to get a shout out for me from how good that site well, looks. Well, thank you. We had a, a design team do that, and we had our uh, director of uh, marketing kind of lead the way, and, and he did a he did an amazing job. And and I'll tell him that, that you gave him a shout out. His name's uh, name's Josh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's good work. So I, I just I just like to mention, I mean because I do my own website and I understand what goes into them and what makes them look good and and uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty nice. So um, have to do yeah, that before pharmacy I podcast pharmacypodcast dot com. If anybody's curious, pharmacypodcast dot com, and there's so much good content on there, and it's designed for pharmacists. So if you're listening into any of that content, you you know that it's of the highest level of uh, of of design and of intent. There you go. I mean, that's the key, right? And maybe you need to slip a note to your pharmacist. Have them listen to this show yes. or any other shows on the network. <laughs> if, if you could tell your pharmacist about the podcast, I will I will be indebted in some way, and maybe we'll get you a free U.S. Pharmy t-shirt. So. I was going to say, what's the best gift to give a pharmacist besides uh, suggesting the podcast network? Give them a T-shirt. If you want to raise money for vets, go to usfarmy.com and buy them a T-shirt and take it to your favorite pharmacist and say, now you have to take a picture of this and tag at Pharmacy Podcast on any of the social media platforms. And if we find that that comes through, um, yeah, I would I would be just tickled pink. I'll actually give you your $25 back or $22 back if you did that. Sounds like a, sounds like a good time. Well, Todd, hey. <laughs> Thank you for hopping on, and uh, thanks for the information that I didn't know. Thank you, Jim, for making me a part of this, and, and good luck on your publication and podcast, and don't stop. Well, thank you, sir, and keep up the good work on your end. Thank you, Jim. There we go again, guys. Another one of these uh, wonderful shows that kind of came out of nowhere, but, you know, every once in a while we got to have fun with it. So there we go. Until next week, guys. It's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. 
take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.